0: Season three of the Igloo kicks off with the now annual Big East Roundtable. Welcome inside the Igloo with me, Timmy Ice. And the Roundtable is back, and this time it's kicking off this brand new season of the Igloo. And I got a real great squad um, of, of just insiders, radio personalities, and in some case a film because we had a tough time finding – representative for a certain school, which I'll touch on in a second. But this year's representatives, you have some returners, but a lot of new faces as well. Captain X back for the Xavier Musketeers. Tyler Bannerman representing Nova. Thomas Cavanaugh back for, for St. John's representing WSJU Radio. Tyler Calvaruso representing Seton Hall with 24-7 Sports. Returning for his second time, the Providence Crier. You got Joe McCann from Crack Sidewalks representing Marquette. Patrick Waring representing the Georgetown Hoyas, the defending Big East tournament champs. Uh, Dan Stack representing DePaul. He's back for his second run, as is Matt DiMarinas from White and Blue Review representing the Creighton Blue Jays. Thomas Justino representing the Yukon Huskies and representing unofficially the Butler Bulldogs because we unfortunately couldn't find an official rep. Uh, is Pat Madden, who sat in on last year's round table as a bit of a, you know, the. I wouldn't say the invisible hand, but like, I mean, obviously he, you made your presence felt whenever there needed to be an introduction, but now you're going to be in the fold. So gentlemen, welcome to season three premiere. And of course the second annual biggest round table. So uh, obviously last year was very tumultuous in many ways because of COVID we're still navigating it all. And, you know, some schools like Butler, like Creighton, were allowing fans in the building others went without fans the entire year except for like for one example Seton Hall led in fans the last game of the year and really outside of that I mean then obviously biggest tournament very small fans uh, very small contingent fans could make it to Madison Square Garden but it was a tumultuous year we thought we were maybe going to get five teams in the tournament only four made it um, and Georgetown pulled a shocking run in the Big East tournament as the eight seed winning it for the first time since 2007 uh, and in the in this NCAA tournament, Villanova and Creighton in the sweet 16 for Creighton. It was the first time ever since the tournament expanded to 64 Villanova, their first time back since 2018. And that first time the conference had multiple teams in the sweet 16 since 2017. So uh, for anyone that wants to interject, you know, how would you guys view, you know, this past season in the biggies in a season that, really is was unprecedented in so many ways.
1: I'll jump in. Uh yeah, I think you touched on a little bit there, Tim, that uh it was a low number as far as teams in the tournament. I mean if Georgetown hadn't won the big East tournament, the Big East was probably looking at three teams. Mm-hmm. And for a team that likes to consider itself Or for a conference that, you know, when we hear the term power five, we're always like, whoa, 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 there's six, there's power, there's six, we're the sixth, there's six power conferences in basketball. Uh, So if you're a power conference, you expect to get more than three teams in the tournament, thankfully, Georgetown got us a fourth. But uh, yeah, there was really wasn't much along the lines of national title contenders. And so I think overall, the conference was down a little bit considering I think usually in Ken Palm rankings where you should see this conference, a top three conference last year it was not. Uh, so in that regard, yeah, it, it was down, but I don't think it was unwatchable by any means. I thought there were some exciting teams, some good players and, uh, you know, Villanova is good every year. And it was great to see, I think, just look at it from a league perspective, obviously when we have rivals and we want to beat everybody in the league, but when you look at it rooting for each other, I think it's good to see, Connecticut making a move up last year uh, when they're after coming into the American athletic conference that I think when they came in uh, there was a sense that once they got closer to big East caliber recruits, that their program would start to rise above the level it was in the American. So I think that is good long-term for the league. When UConn is good, that's good for the big East. When it, I'd say the same for Marquette and Georgetown when programs like that, especially Georgetown, which has a, a national following, I think when that program is good, that's good for the league. So when them winning the big East tournament was, we, I guess we're just going to wait and see if that's going to be like a flash in the pan or if that's a sign of good things to come for Georgetown. So overall, that's kind of my take on the league overall, maybe down a little bit, but I think there were some flashes in there that make you think there's some good things ahead for the league.
0: Yeah. And and Creighton, obviously they had, they did something that they had never done in the 64 plus team format, which is making the sweet 16 and and they had a shot at overtaking Villanova at the top of the conference. Obviously it didn't pan out. They made it to the biggest title game, but in terms of making that second weekend, Matt Marinus, I think they, they definitely obviously fulfilled that goal. And, you know, I think it was probably a sign of what this team was supposed to do the year before.
2: Yeah, there was a monkey off the back moment for sure. I think, you know, that nineteen twenty 20 team, the way they were playing going into, you know, the stretch run of March probably had a higher ceiling maybe um, just because of the level they were playing at. But then again, uh, Marcus Zagorowski also got hurt at the tail end of that Seton Hall game on the last day of the regular season. So maybe that would have, you know, lowered the ceiling for that team a little bit considering he wasn't going to play in the NCAA tournament before it was uh, shut down. I think, though, they did. I thought they performed pretty well in the games that they needed to, though. I mean, that's kind of what the story of the season was. There was a little, they were a little up and down, and you kind of wondered if they just were waiting for March. And that's kind of what it looked like. They were up for the big games. Um, they got clipped by some teams that probably weren't quite as good as they were. Kind of, they played, you know, they kind of played to their level a little bit last year and it cost them in some games. Um, but, you know, they played well in the Big East tournament. Uh, aside from the uh, championship game against Georgetown um, and then the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, that that was uh, although it wasn't a path that was um, paved with power conference teams or perennial powers in terms of postseason success, um, UC Santa Barbara and Ohio were two really good teams with two. Dynamic point guards who are both, I think, in the NBA now. I think McClough, Jordan Clophland from UCSB is um, getting a shot, at least in training camp. So, and Jason Preston's a stud. Um, I think he's gonna um, have a long career at the next level. Um, so, yeah, it was. But they played. You know, they did, they did what they needed to do in terms of being that team that um, finally got the monkey off the back. Because I know a lot of fans have uh, been kind of itching for one of these teams to break through and just see their name in the bracket during the second weekend of the tournament so from in in that regard the team uh, if you talk about them collectively because they were together in 1920 they were together in 1819 for the most part um, accomplished quite a bit as a group so it was they'll, they'll uh their legacy will last pretty a pretty long time I think
0: And Patrick, you know, you know, I actually, now I saw your name. um, I remember, you know, seeing that on the list of, you know, people in, you know, in the rooms for, you know, the press conferences for Georgetown. And, you know, I, I think at least me personally, I mean, I don't think a lot of people expected the Hoyas to go on the run that they did, you know, winning four games in four nights. And some of the games, I mean, going perfect from the line to beat Villanova in the quarterfinal and then routing Creighton in the championship game and, easily their best overall game of the entire season. Um, but, you know, for you covering that, um, you know, I can't even imagine just how much of a whirlwind of emotions it was just watching that underdog team that everyone picked to finish dead last in the standings last year come into New York City and win the whole damn thing.
3: Yeah, absolutely, man. Like you said, it was, a, um, it was an interesting year, you know, all together for everything, just starting out with, everything dealing around COVID and health situations for Georgetown. Personally, you know, dealing with the passing of John Thompson, it was just a lot of things going on in the year. So, like you said, being able to cover the team, just being able to talk to them during the course of the year, things started off really slow. Um, they went through a, um, a pause in January, and then out of that, they just played a lot better second half of the year. I mean, they, they finished up six and four over the last ten games. Played, played better, uh, took care of the basketball, uh, moved the ball around a lot better and went into the tournament in New York and, you know, four games, four games straight. So just talk, you know, I think talking to talking to coach during the season, talking to the players, guys like Jamarco Pickett, Javon Blair, uh, one thing that never changed was they, they kind of stayed level the whole time. I think they believed in the team they knew the goal was to make the tournament um, and they were able to do it. It was the only way to do it was to win in New York, but I mean, they did it. But one thing I can say is it seemed like the guys, the guys shared a common goal and they stuck with the plan.
0: Yeah. And, you know, like it was something great to see. I mean, especially, you know, with, you know, Patrick Ewing coming home and doing what he did. Uh, I mean, it was under a little bit of, a little bit of controversy, you know, after the, at least the quarterfinal game against Villanova with the whole, you know, credential issue, but, you know, that's a discussion (laughs) for another time. Um, But, um, you know, but obviously another big headline was the return of the Yukon Huskies and Thomas Justino, um, you know, just to hit you quickly, how would you personally assess the Huskies first year back home?
4: Uh, I mean, so I grew up watching the old biggie. So it was great to be back. Um, I think that they performed about how I expected. I was thinking they would land anywhere from three to five last season um, you know could have been maybe higher if book had been healthy all season I think they were a uh, four and four without him in but I think that'll lend itself nicely to this year where they're obviously without book Um, but yeah I don't know it was I got I wish I got to go to some more games last season but it was just good even being at home getting to watch old rivals like Nova Georgetown I probably shouldn't admit this but I was rooting for Georgetown to uh, pull it off at MSG because I wanted them to make the tournament. Um, but yeah, I think the big East has been a huge boost to UConn's recruiting, their national attention. Um, yeah. It's, it's just a good relationship for both the big East and the Huskies.
0: So that will take us into now. I want to hit, hit each of these schools, you know, individually um, and talk about obviously, you know, certain teams, you know, they have high expectations. They look really good at some points, And for some reason, they faltered, you, you know, whether it be early, whether it be late. And one of the teams that did falter late, but they are returning quite a bit of their core back, is Xavier. Uh, this is a team that arguably played itself out of the tournament, out of tournament contention at the tail end of the season, capped, uh, capped off by that unfortunate loss in the Big East tournament. Deja vu, like last year, they lost to DePaul in 2020 in the first round in the 10-7 game. This time around, they lose to Butler in a game they had a pretty big lead in. And Captain X, you know, this team, I mean, they were a top 25 team. And, you know, they were rolling before a huge COVID pause. And then, you know, they come out of it. They come out flat. And then, obviously, the nail in the coffin ends up being a game in New York against a team they should have beat.
5: Yeah, no question. First of all, just good to be back. Good to have the, the Big East boys together, and I'm loving this. Um, just good to talk hoops. But, yeah, when it comes to Xavier basketball, I think this year, you know, the whole theme is just rubber's got to meet the road. I mean, I think Travis Steele is on the verge of losing the fan base if this isn't the year that it needs to be. Um, but, yeah, you're right. And losing of all teams to Butler, too. Um, But this team was rolling. I mean, you go back to right before conference season, uh, you know, we beat Oklahoma by like 30 at home, just laid it on them. I think they were a top 15 team. So we came into conference play, I think nine and one top 20 in the country. So for it to end that way, with Jason Carter taking nine shots, going 0 for 9 to lose the season to Butler. Um, obviously not the way you wanted it to go. Um, but there's been a lot of excuses for Steele. Like COVID was one, and then like the tournament getting canceled the year before. So he's had a lot of weird excuses to like get away with it. This year, that's not going to fly. You bring back Paul Scruggs for a fifth year. You bring back Nate Johnson. You bring back Fremantle, Colby Jones, Duane Odom, Conkle. You know what I mean? Like the, everything you're returning, and there's just no more excuses. Like this year has to be at least a tournament year, I think, for Steele to keep the fan base and keep his job long term. But I think for the fan base, though, it needs to be top 25 with all that you're returning, top four in the Big East, uh, and hopefully a win or two in the tournament um, to keep the fan base happy. But if he doesn't make the tournament, it's the beginning of the end. I don't know if he loses his job. It's the beginning of the end for, for Coach Steele. Man, is yeah. just blasting this coach here. I mean, I'm, I'm on board with Coach Steele, but like for Xavier to miss the tournament three three years in a row hasn't happened since the 80s. So, I mean, that just can't happen. Yeah, I mean, it's you're, not doing, like, doing,
2: like, you're not giving you know, him a COVID pass then? You're not doing that?
5: No COVID pass, no. That was we a
0: backed out
2: of the, of the they game were they the were different. You don't like look how they were playing going in, look how they were playing going out kind of thing.
5: I mean, I hear you on that, but it's also been three years in a row. I mean, and, and at some point, you know, the, you have to the results have to speak for themselves? So for me, it's you gotta make the tournament this year, man. Like, no more excuses. It's been three years in a row. We've had an excuse every single year. We gotta make the tournament at least. Honestly, it needs to be better than that, but um, you gotta make the tournament at least with everything you have coming back. I mean, Scruggs for a fifth year is particular, especially with all the talent around them.
0: So, so Cap, you know it's It's interesting. Like, so obviously I think consensus is top four that Xavier will finish at bare minimum top five, but yeah. you know, like, you know, where are you targeting? You're like, I mean, obviously you, there's something somewhere you want to
5: see, see them, but where do you think they'll
0: end up finishing in reality?
5: Yeah. I'd say realistically, I'd say three to six. Um, because there's just, you know, there's a lot of variables there. I, I could see them punching as high as two. We're not going to beat Nova this year, if I'm being honest, but like I could see them punching as high as two, but I could see them dropping as low as six or seven. But I would say my realistic target would be like three to six range. All
0: right. And obviously, you know, you know, Cap, Um. obviously, you know, like Xavier hasn't felt this much tension towards this, towards the program again since, you know, before, you know, back in the 80s when they were making the tournament, back when they were playing in a one-bit league, but like, now they're in a power conference and, you know, like, yep. you know, you know, the clock's almost striking midnight here. And, you know, for Travis, you like, you know, Hey buddy, you know, we got to get in <laughs> like, right. at, like at this point, like I know you got expectations for them to finish top five, but like, is getting I'm gonna them jump in in here. In the tournament in the bare? I'm guessing the question is like, is getting them just getting in the tournament? Like, is that good? Is that good enough for you? Or are you expecting more?
5: Uh, Pat can go ahead. If he has something, I think that will right. keep, Go ahead. The point I was
6: going to make that Tim needs to keep in mind is that Cincinnati, of all schools, had a pretty big – they just hired a good coach in West Miller. They just did a great job on the recruiting trail this season. And if Xavier has a down year with – I mean, Cincinnati had to kick Bramman out of town. But if Cincinnati has a decent year, considering they're about to go into the Big 12 in a few seasons, and they start to build – their fan base gets a buzz – it's going to make guys like the captain a little bit disappointed that Xavier's going to be the second. Right now, Xavier is the king of Cincinnati in terms yeah. of they have the better program. But if, since if, if the Bearcats get their show in motion, it's going to make the Xavier fans feel like second-class citizens in their own town. So that's why Steele has to put a flag in the ground this season and make an NCAA yeah. tournament before
5: the Bearcats really get rolling. Yeah, big time. This has to be the year. I mean, you're just everything you're returning. Like, this has to be the year. Like, there is no excuse that's going to be valid aside from, like, the season being shut down. But I mean, I'm totally with you. I mean, I think, like you said, Tim, like, making the tournament, I think, would keep his job and I think would keep the fan base, you know, on ice. But, like, it's got to be better than that, to be completely honest. I think to win the fan base back, he's going to have to at least have a top 25 year. All right. Well, you know, like, I think, you know, I would,
0: I would personally expect that. I think I think they're a top 25 team.
5: But I think they should. I think they like,
0: should and they will, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, the preseason poll will be coming out in a few weeks, so eager to see what's going to happen with that. of course, with a couple of weeks from now, biggest Media Day, we're going to get that preseason poll to see where everyone's going to stack up. But I think – and that's a good transition. Uh, Cap, I know you got to record the Roblob podcast. So, Cap, appreciate the time. Look forward to having you back sometime in the future.
5: Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Good. To, I'm super excited, by the way, for Georgetown, UConn, and Providence, per usual. I'm always excited about Providence. They always let me down. We'll see if they can uh, – and shouts to Escalators and, and Mr. Hotballs for uh, for ditching the pod and pussying up.
0: Hey, take it easy, Cat Packs. We'll, we'll see you soon.
5: Later. Love you guys.
0: So, Tyler Mannerman, that, I think that takes us perfectly into you because on on media day, I think it's pretty clear who's going to be at the top of that preseason poll. And, of course, will be Villanova. Um, this was a team, despite losing Colin Gillespie, somehow managed to make the Sweet 16, which I I think was an accomplishment in itself because I wrote them off. I thought they were going to lose to Winthrop. So I apologize to Jay Wright for underestimating him and his team. But now Colin Gillespie's back from injury. And I mean, unfortunately, it it just sucks seeing guys like Jameer cosby Roundtree, and now Brian Antoine battling this injury bug that's just inescapable. But either way, despite even that, Villanova's the perennial favorite in the league and granted they have competition but now i mean but still you got you got colin gillespie jermaine samuels guys from the 2018 team and you know still and you got up the hall of famer the newly inducted hall of famer jay wright um so overall you know you had a good finish to last season and i feel like if you're a nova fan just out there and anyone just following the team like momentum's got to be at your side going into 2022 especially with that loaded schedule now.
7: Uh, yeah, I mean, last year losing Gillespie was big. Like, it really, I guess you could say it ruined our season. But as you said, we made the Sweet 16. But um, Chris Archidiakono really stepped up. I mean, he didn't do much offensively, but his defense, his passing, really his play just helped, like, show the team, hey, season's not over yet let's keep playing play our heart out and he even said like he pl- he plays the full 40 minutes I think it was against North texas he uh he dope for a ball in like the last 10 seconds and it showed just like hey you play through all 40 minutes of the game and with this season you have Gillespie 100 percent back and he's been looking good uh Caleb Daniels was actually dealing with covid like he had problems with it even after our break and He is now back and healthy. I think he should be a better shooter this year. And uh, again, Jermaine Samuels, he's improved every year since he's been here. And I could definitely see him getting some national recognition in terms of, like, NBA draft. or just, Just by people in general recognizing that he's one of the top players in the nation. And Eric Dixon has improved a lot. I think that rounds out about our starting lineup. And he's just looked great in the Olympics. Uh, I Again, our schedule, we got Tennessee, UCLA, um, Baylor, Syracuse, and then possibly Purdue. I think that's going to be tough. I'd say maybe one to two losses. I think we could definitely beat all of them, but it's going to be a tough stretch. But we also got teams like Mount St. Mary's and uh, Howard in there. That could help us regain regain confidence if we do drop a game or two.
0: Yeah, Um, I mean, so I mean, obviously, I mean, we're talking. I mean, there are some people like, oh, Villanova should be a one seed. I mean, in the NCAA tournament, I think that's a bit of a push, but, but like for you personally, like I I think, at the bare minimum, they're they have to be like one of the top, like if if comes selection Sunday, I think you're probably thinking you got to be at least a top four seed in 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 the brackets.
7: Yeah, definitely. I'm thinking we gotta be either a two or three seed. I mean, the experience we have is just absolutely crazy. Uh, even Brandon Slater, like he's he's looked. Uh, I saw John Rothstein said he was he just got bigger and stronger from last season. I honestly think he'll be an X factor for this team off the bench with his shooting, his defense, and really, if any of our starters need a break, we can throw him right in there and he play, He should he should play great. Uh, And one, one, so one, one last thing. So Trey Patterson
0: joined the team towards the end of last season as like a spring semester addition. Um, What do you think he's going to look like now that, you know, he's got that additional semester in along with that off season in the summer and now transitioning into his first full season?
7: Uh, I think him enrolling early really helped. I mean, he was able to get into a couple games, I want to say one of them was against St. John's where he missed a dunk or something. I'm not completely <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, but no, he's. I'm pretty sure he's looked a lot better, and he's just gotten stronger and bigger. I think, honestly, he could be like a stretch five because with the team we have right now, like um, last year when Jeremiah Robinson Earl would need a break, we would throw Jermaine Samuels at the five and have Cole Swider play the four, something like that. And I think this year with Patterson possibly taking what Swider would do and putting Samuels at the five or putting Patterson at the five. He definitely has better defense than Cole Swider. So that could improve us there. And then he's more athletic. I think he can do more. So maybe not as well as a shooter, but I think he could definitely do more and that definitely helps our team. So we got two teams
0: down nine to go part two of the biggies round table will be coming up right after this and start starting on part two. We're going to hit the metropolitan area. We got St. John's and Seton hall coming up after the break. Don't go anywhere. Part two of the second annual biggies round table rolls on. And as mentioned before, before going to break, let's hit, let's hit the metropolitan area and hit the St. John's red storm, a team that exceeded expectations a year ago. Ninth ninth of the biggies preseason poll is a, a big slap in the face. And Red Storm proved it. They finished tied for fourth. Tiebreaker got them the fourth seed in the Big East tournament, led by freshman of the year, Posh Alexander, uh, player of the year candidate last year and this year as well, Julian Champenny, who is back uh, for the Red Storm for his junior campaign. And there's a lot of hype around this St. John's team, Thomas. And rightfully so, this team has embedded the tournament. Uh, actually, they were last in it in 19. But under Mike Anderson, you know, a team that they've exceeded expectations the last couple of years, and now there's going to be legitimate expectations on their shoulders now. How do you think this team's going to handle it with all the talent they got?
8: I mean, you said it best there with the expectations that are now shouldered on this first two years were more of a formative period for Mike Anderson, you know, getting the players into the fold that he wants to fit his system. There weren't really any expectations other than get Mike Anderson's Uh, streak of winning teams to continue. This year, though, the expectations are tournament or bust. For the first time in his tenure, he's going to have everyone that he brought back. um, Excuse me. He's going to have everyone that he recruited on this team. That means no more of Chris Mullins players on this team anymore. They either transferred out or graduated. So this year, it's all to Mike Anderson's creation and this personnel to really work however he wants this team to go. Because we all know how Mike Anderson loves his fast-paced style. Uh, this year, of course, you said how Julian Champetti's going to be so integral to this team. He's really the, st- the straw drink for this team. He averaged 19.8 points per game. You know, we'll probably look for him to play along the perimeter more. That was the advice he got from NBA teams when he entered the NBA draft process. And also another thing that's really worth be looking at is the development of Pasha Alexander. You know, how will he develop as a three-point shooter and as a playmaker? You know, in his freshman year, he averaged only 30% from three-point range. You want to look for a bit more efficiency from him, especially if he wants to be a lead guard. Uh, But as you mentioned, you know, his defensive capabilities as a freshman is just staggering. Uh, You know, he was the first freshman to win Big East defensive player of the year since Allen Iverson in his freshman year. So those were some lofty expectations set for Alexander to, you know, produce in his sophomore year. But uh, for St. John's, really, the one thing I really want to look for them to do as a team with tournament expectations is find some consistency. Because last year, you know, you had great games where they beat Villanova at home. Where they went on the road to come back from down 14 to beat UConn or even coming back to beat Seton hall by down 18, nothing to start the game. But on the other hand, you had games where they dropped uh, that home game against DePaul that basically sunk their tournament hopes. And then you had that game at Butler at Hinkle Fieldhouse, which is basically the house of horse for St. John's uh, they blew a 16 point lead at the half against the Butler bulldogs. So it's games like those that St. John's really needs control and maintain some consistency if they want to get into the NCAA tournament this year.
0: And, you know, they got some good opportunities, you know, in non-conference play to prove themselves. You know, they kind of lacked those last year, but they definitely don't this year. And I think the biggest one, I mean, I feel like the fact that they're going to be playing, you know, um, their first game ever in the brand new UBS arena um, on Long Island against the heralded Kansas Jayhawks. I can't even imagine how exciting that's got to be coming up on, you know, in early December.
8: It's definitely something that's marked on all of our calendars, you know, December 3rd at UBS arena. This is perhaps about as good of a test as you can get for a team like St. John's I'd say other than Gonzaga, of course, but this Kansas team they are loaded, they reloaded. Basically. I want to see the matchup against Remy Martin and Posh Alexander what could you know, David McCormick do against Joel Soriano, who newly transferred in, and you know, how would Julian Champagne match up against Oshaya Akbaji? You know, those matchups are really tantalizing to really think about. Uh, but that's really a huge game for St. John's. Another game that really should be on our radar too is that third game of the season when they travel to Bloomington, Indiana, to play the Hoosiers and Mike Woodson's first year as a head coach. For Indiana. That's going to be an interesting game because Indiana, they're still a great team. They still have, uh, I believe, Trace Jackson Davis. He returned, if I am remembering that correctly. But they also have players like Race Thompson coming into the fold. Uh, and they have also players like uh, Xavier Johnson from Pitt. Uh, and, you know, that would really be a great game against a tournament caliber team. So those are a couple of great non conference tests. For the St. John's team. And if they want to be able to say that they a team, they have to put up some impressive performances against each of those two teams. Personally, I'm very optimistic about this team, but I'm not really going to expect them to win either of those games. But for a team like St. John's, it would not shock me if they pulled off, say, a win against Kansas, which it's crazy to say, but we've seen it last year when they played Villanova and uh, they outplayed them for all 40 minutes. So When this team is clicking, they can be dangerous, but that's the thing. Oftentimes they need to be clicking because, you know, you have those performances against DePaul where they just look all out of sorts. So again, it's really a matter of finding that consistency uh, for this team to really succeed this year. So I I think
0: another big thing, uh, if there's, is a point of concern, I mean, granted great starting five that you'd have on tap, but if there's any questions, it has to come with the depth.
8: Yeah. Uh, I'd say the definitely, of course, that we mentioned, they had basically an entire platoon swap in the transfer portal with guys like Greg Williams, Jr., uh, Marcellus Erlington leaving, but they also brought in some great role players and players that come off the bench. I mean, of course, you want to look at guys like Joel Soriano, who's supposed to be starting, but you also have guys perhaps coming off the bench like Steph Smith and Tariq Coburn, guys who are at least 38 to 39, maybe even 40% shooters. Uh, back at the schools that they played at uh, so that could perhaps translate into the Big East and then there are some freshmen too that I really think you should really take a look at guys like Rafael Pinzone who impressed in the FIBA under19 World Cup when he was at Puerto Rico. I think that you guys should be taking some uh, should at least keep him on the radar at least for this season because his playmaking ability I've been really impressed by uh, so we know of course how Mike Anderson loves to play freshmen and loves to keep them playing time so perhaps, it's worth looking at Pinzon, uh, and then you have guys like Dylan wusu who's coming off the bench, and we're really gonna have to look towards his development in year two. We didn't really see much out of him in that first year due to you know experiences of foul trouble, where you know he struggled uh, getting into foul trouble, where he fouled out, and I believe five games last year, and he was in foul trouble in about half the games that he played. So it's really more of the discipline we have to look at for year two. But the, the talent that comes to the table in terms of his, uh, his physicality as a multi-positional guard, you know, where he can guard perhaps four positions, that's pretty key for this uh, system that Mike Anderson runs, where he loves to uh, you know, pronounce 40 minutes of hell. So um, Dylan Deowusu's development is also pretty uh, pertinent in terms of looking at you know, how will this team uh, look in this year.
0: Yeah, and I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, shifting over across the river, the team that knocked St. John's out of the Big East tournament was Seton Hall in an overtime thriller. By the way, I correctly predicted it would go to overtime. Just, I'm not going to, I did, I had St. John's winning, but I still had an overtime game and I called it on the nose. But Seton Hall ended up winning the game. And, um, but granted it came for not because they got knocked out the next night by Georgetown, which was the ultimate exclamation point on a very disappointing end to the season. Um, for the Pirates as they, you know, really they collapsed in the final three weeks of the season. Uh, So Tyler, obviously, you want to talk about um, avenging the end of last season, like the 2020 season because they didn't get to play in an NCAA tournament and they were trying to avenge that, couldn't do that because they collapsed at the end. Now they have something even more to avenge. So I can't even imagine what the vibe is like in South Orange among the guys that are returning, guys like Miles Kale that came back as well as, you know, Bryce Aiken, who, you know, God, God, God forbid, you know, he has to go undergo more injury issues. But I just feel like if you're Seton Hall, Kevin Willard and that staff, you got to be thinking to yourself like, damn, like we choked away a tournament appearance last year and
9: now we got to get that back. Yeah, man, this is definitely a year of redemption for this program. That's the feeling in South Orange right now. This team has to make a statement and redeem itself after it essentially played itself out of the NCAA tournament at the end of last season. You know, if you really think about it, they got off to the good start in Biggie's play. Then they went on the three-game skid, and then they bounced back one-four in a row, and then they dropped four more in a row to end the regular season, and it just left such a sour taste in everyone's mouth. Granted, they knocked off St. John's in the Big East tournament. And then, you know, Georgetown comes along and end Seton Hall season in a manner where Seton Hall had a great chance to play itself into the NCAA tournament with the automatic bid if everything it had been through. And there were just so many variables last season that caused things to go off the rails. You know, obviously you can't predict injuries and losing Bryce Aiken for the stretches that they did hurt a lot. Uh, you know, there wasn't really a true alpha dog from a leadership perspective. I would say, you know, as good of a player as Andrew Mamoukowski really was, you know, anytime you have a Kobe's player of the year on your team, you expect to go dancing. But there was just something lacking last year in that department. I think this year's team has it from what I've gathered. Guys like Miles Kale coming back, Aiken coming back, Kadari Richmond coming in. There's a renewed emphasis on playing with toughness and really playing Seton Hall basketball and showing what the Pirates are all about throughout Kevin Willard's tenure there. So redemption is the one word I would – used to sum up the way this team is approaching this season. They know what's at stake. They know what happened last season. Now it's time to rebound. And, you know, like, especially in some, in some of the
0: games they lost, I mean, they got up on Butler, and when when Butler went on their run, and when UConn went on their run against them on senior night, they kind of just waved the white flag like the and, it's, and against St. John's, too, they went up 18-0, and then the second St. John's took their first lead of the game, Seton Hall was like, nah, we're we're done here. We're waving the white flag. Like, they... You could tell, like they beat themselves once whoever it was took the first lead of the game, especially that St. John's game. So I, I think if anything, you know, getting guys like I, I think if there's one name, everyone's going to be talking about Jamar Kadari uh, Richmond, but the guy everyone should be talking about regarding who came to Seton Hall this in the off season that's going to give him a boost, especially with the way they struggle from behind the arc. Jameer Harris,
9: jersey zone. Yeah, Jameer, one of the best shooters in the nation. You know, he he can hit from pretty much anywhere beyond the arc. He's going to be a major boost for a team that struggled to shoot the rock last season. And uh, you had a guy like Jameer. It just opens so many things up offensively. He could play off the ball, play on the ball a little bit. He'll be better suited working off the ball in a shooting guard role. And he just opens things up for scene Hall and transition and half-court sets. When you have a guy who, like you just said, that wasn't something that they had last season. You know, A lot of their half-court sets ran stagnant just because they couldn't really hit their open shots. That's something a lot of guys struggled with. So you bring in a player like Harris who could stretch the floor out like that and hit his threes. Definitely big for Kevin Willard and his staff. Another guy who could shoot a little bit that might be able to stretch the floor from his front court position is Alexis Yedin, the South Florida transfer. You know, when you have a guy who could step out and hit some shots, granted that's not exactly his game. He's more of a mid-range type of guy offensively. That's another element that's seen Hawk play off offensively and get back on the right track. So in terms of being the top dog on this team, just in
0: production standpoint, well, I mean, obviously you can't – replicate the kind of production you get from mamu but i think if there's anyone clearly that's going to be that number one guy to go to that's going to get the ball down the stretch it's got to be jared Roden, and i'm not going to lie he's going to be playing with a chip on his shoulder i mean this is a guy who was all biggies tournament last year but a lot of people aren't giving him his just due because he's got first team talent but no one's given him that credit just yet or very few are
9: Yeah, man, he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. He's got that fire lit with uh, some of these preseason outlets not really recognizing him and giving him the recognition that he feels he's worthy of. You know, I kind of touched on last year's team not really having that it factor in terms of fire and just leadership. Roden was one of the few guys who brought it in that department. He's going to be their emotional leader this year, and that's going to be huge for them. Because if you've ever watched Jared Roden throughout his time at Seton Hall, he's active in timeouts. He's talking the guys up. He plays with a ton of energy on both ends of the floor, no matter what's going on on the court, no matter what the score is. So Roden, I think Jared Roden is primed for a really big year. I really do. I I think he could work his way up to maybe second team all Big East. I think he has that ability in him. He's a two-way guy. I think he's going to take things up in the scoring department. And Seton Hall is going to lean on him big time. There's been so much made about what they've brought in this offseason from the transfer portal. You know, some of the freshmen they have bringing in the likes of Brandon Weston. there's a lot of excitement surrounding those guys. But this is Roden's team. No question about it. He's the go-to guy. And the Pirates, they'll go as he goes, pretty much.
0: So, expectations-wise, you know, um, I mean, obviously the expectation to, is to get to the tournament. That's now the norm under Kevin Willard, and that's a testament to how much he's changed the culture. But standings-wise, you know, we talk about, you know, tiers. I know Matt DeMarina's really put it well. Last year on the roundtable, you know, there's going to be tiers to the biggies. You know, there's your top tier. Your second tier is probably you're going to have Seton Hall in there with several other teams, but you know, what would you say are the ceiling and basement
9: in terms of expectations for this squad? So I'd say anywhere between three and six in the standings is what I'm looking at right now in terms of realistic expectations for this team. I don't think they have what it takes to claim a top two spot right now. That could obviously change one, you know, once we see this team on the floor, but I think, if this makes any sense, they're in the upper tier of the middle pack. And, you know, th- there's not that much of a drop off from three through seven. Even you could say two through seven, in my opinion, and beyond. So is somewhere in that range. I think this is a tournament team. I think they have what it takes on both ends of the floor. Some guys are going to have to step up. You know, Kadari Richmond's going to have to adjust to his surroundings quickly. I know he's been dealing with a bout with COVID right now. So you know, it'll be interesting to see how he gets going once the season begins. But I think this is a tournament team, and I think they're going to – if I had to put a hard prediction on it right now, I'd say they finished fourth. So – but they're, you know, like I said, they're variables. You can't predict the injury stuff, and you can't predict how some of these guys are going to step up into new roles. So I'm confident saying three through six. I think that's where this team's realistically at right now. Yeah, and, you know, obviously Kevin Willard, you know, put together
0: another challenging non-conference schedule. So by the time Big plays a role, rolls around – They'll be battle testing, ready for that grind of uh, now the monster, an even bigger monster of a 20 game biggie schedule, that double round robin. So, moving on uh, to another team that kind of disappointed in the middle of the pack, um, a team that finished 2020 on fire. But last year, you know, they kind of got it rolling a little too late. And to punctuate it, they lost to DePaul in the Big East tournament. And that, of course, is the Providence Friars. And I'm sorry, I got to bring that up to you, crier. But, um, and I I wouldn't blame you for being a crier about it because that would, I I would feel, I'd feel some type of way about that too. Uh, But obviously it was a pretty, I wouldn't say doom and gloomier, but you know, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows and a lot of cloudy days up in Friartown.
10: No, let's not sugarcoat it. It was a pretty shitty season. Uh, (laughs) You know, you go back to 19, uh, 2019, 2020, Like you said, they were rolling at the end of the year. Uh, First team in NCAA history to have five wins against top 25 opponents in a calendar month. Uh, So they were rolling. And I thought that team was going to make the deep run that the prior fans are waiting for Ed Cooley to do. I mean, he's gotten them to the tournament. Um, You know, it it would have been six of seven years, but obviously that, you know, that season didn't count. So, uh, and then they miss it last year. Uh, So, you know, Cooley was able to get them the tournament. Now the fans were hoping take the next step in the tournament. But, you know, last with COVID and then last year, I mean, all of a sudden it is definitely doom and gloom. I mean, that team just just threw away so many games. You, you look at, they played Xavier. Colby Jones hit a buzzer beater to beat him. Uh, Creighton at home, Bishop. I thought he traveled, but whatever. His dunk uh, is a buzzer beater. Um, against Villanova at the end of the year when Gillespie was out. They end up winning that game, but it was like pulling teeth. The team couldn't close games. And the real interesting thing is, you know, beginning of the year, they were pretty, you know, up there in terms of Kempom for offense, but defensively they were atrocious for a Cooley standards, that is. Uh, by the time the season ended, it, got, it, it flipped. Offensively they were 96 or something like that, but defense was only 74. Still not good enough for Cooley. Usually, Ed Cooley coach teams, top 50 in Ken Palm defense. So I definitely think it was a, a down year last year. You know, if you look at this year, they lose David Duke Jr. I thought him and Nate Watson would be the one-two punch that would be able to carry them uh, much further than a 13-13 and 13 record. Um, but you lose him, they lose a bunch of other fringe rotation guys, but they reloaded a little bit uh, on the transfer portal getting uh, Al Durham from IU, three-year starter, three-year captain. Uh, Justin Minaya, uh forward from South Carolina, another three-year starter. So they're adding quality transfers that I think can step in right away in terms of biggest play. The year before that, they add Jared Bynum from St. Joe's, and he struggled to, to get it going at the point. Same could be said for Luan Pipkins the year before that. He really struggled until the end of the year. So I, my hope is that the, the transfers that they bring in, considering that they started on power five, power six, whatever you want to call it, uh, teams, I think that adjustment should be easier.
0: Yeah, and, you know, like, I think, if, yeah, thankfully, you know, with Bynum being down, thankfully, Allen Breed rose up to the occasion and is going to probably be the guy starting at point guard with Durham, probably starting at the two. But, I mean, obviously, it's great to have Nate Watson Noah Horler back using the extra year, returning to Providence. But, I mean, just with the overall balance of the league, it's going to be awfully tough for Providence to, you know, rise up. Although they have the ability to do it, it's going to be awfully tough for them to, you know, find a way to, you know, rise towards, you know, the top five, to be in back in the tournament after, you know, obviously last year things kind of, you know, they lost a lot of games like Seton Hall whacked them at home. St. John's hung 92 on them at home. Like, you know, Obviously, they have the experience to do it. Now the question is, do they have the talent to do it? And obviously, uh, you know, even in – granted, you got all that talent, but, you know, if you're – I mean, I feel like I wouldn't – at least as – if I were a proudness fan like you, I'd be, I'd be having a little – a few question marks about, you know, are we actually good enough to, you know, make that jump and make ourselves a tournament team and set ourselves apart for teams like a Seton Hall, the St.
10: Johns, or a Xavier? Yeah, for sure. I mean, th- this year I have no expectations. Uh, I'm done giving expectations because usually when I do, I end up being disappointed. So this year I'm not doing that. But what I will tell you is I, I expect this team to be picked between probably five and 10 in the preseason poll. Um, I-, I wouldn't say as low as 10, but they're definitely going to be a bottom five or bottom six team. Right. Um, so, you know, I think those teams coolly, typically gets those guys to play. Right. Um, I feel like when they're, when they're don't get much media uh, fanfare and all that, I I think they rise to the occasion. Um, I think last year with COVID empty arena, Cooley didn't seem to have the same fire in his belly that he normally does. Right. Um, So, you know, they do have a ton of question marks. They do have a lot of experience, as you mentioned, you know, if they wanted to, they could throw out a lineup of Durham, Reeves, Minaya, Horkler, and Watson, those would be all guys that are at least seniors or older. So um, they have a ton of experience, but guys are going to have to step up. One guy I look for as an X-factor, A.J. Reeves. Um, Some of you are more familiar with his work than others, but uh, Reeves shed 20 pounds in the offseason. His freshman year, man, he was a stud before injuring his foot, and he hasn't come close to regaining that form. Um, but he's the X factor, man. If, if he can be a guy that can create offense um, from three, mid-range, attacking a hoop better, uh, that opens up the floor a lot for Nate Watson to dominate. Which, by the way, I, I don't see anyone in the Big East that's going to stop Nate Watson this season. He's going to own the paint. Oh,
0: okay. You know, My
2: like, I-, about, I have a question about Providence, though, because it sounded like after uh, getting bounced by DePaul in the Big East tournament that there was going to be some soul searching going on. So I'm curious if it's still kind of be like bar fight you in terms of the style of play or if that's going to be altered at all.
10: I mean, that, that's actually a really good point. Um, you know, the flex offense that, you know, they don't run it all the time, but Cooley's flex offense is pretty stale dated when you think about how basketball is played especially at the professional level right um you know floor spacing and all that yeah that, that, that's gonna be interesting because they didn't fire any assistants i thought maybe that was a possibility um they did bring in Ladante Hinton as a as an assistant so um you know we'll see but but I, that, that's a good point for sure i mean their offense can be putrid at times no doubt
0: yeah no trust me like I watching that flex offense i'm like what is this freaking travel team <laughs> like yeah. that's what I, that's what it felt like sometimes watching I'm like really I felt like I did this in like elementary school
10: oh yeah and you got guys like Jared Dudley uh who who played at BC when Cooley was assistant he's he still you see him on Twitter occasionally ripping the flex so
0: <laughs> uh old man dud never ne- ne- never change dud never change but let's talk uh I mean there, there was a lot of change going on in the big East. And obviously we now have two new head coaches. This head coach probably made bigger headlines and it was correctly predicted by last year's Marquette representative, Alan Baikowski. Now, we toss tossed it to this year's representative, Joe McCann uh, from crack sidewalks. Um, the Shaka era is, has been ushered in in Milwaukee, the Wisconsin names back home. And he kind of was dealt a bit of a tough hand because both Theo John and Dawson Garcia, the two his two bigs from last year, well, they went to Tobacco Road with Dawson going to Carolina and Theo John going to Duke. And however, he did get Daryl Marcel, which is a nice addition from Maryland. But I feel like in the same vein that Wojo was dealt kind of a tough hand in his first year at Marquette, can almost make the same argument with uh, Shaka this time around.
2: Hey Joe,
1: yeah, I think this- that's a good place to start. Sorry. No, before
11: you
2: before you start, do you want us to let you know if someone's going to come down the stairs and murder you before you while you're talking? Or yeah, if speak? you
1: see anybody sneaking behind yeah. me, please uh, let me know. I, I would appreciate. Uh, it, uh, yeah, but, it fun. <laughs> but um, yeah. So like starting there with the roster in the hand, I guess he was dealt. But and, and you know some of it maybe his own decisions as far as the roster as well. But the fact is, out of twelve scholarship players at for Marquette this year. Only three were on the roster last year. Only two of them saw more than 10 minutes a game. And of the 12 scholarship players, 10 or nine are either freshmen or sophomores. So it's a lot of new faces and a lot of young faces. So those two usually combine for maybe some growing pains. So I think that is why I think a lot I wouldn't say a lot I can't speak for everybody but I think people who follow Marquette basketball closely or maybe tempering expectations for this team for that reason because when you have a lot of youth you're going to have mistakes and when you have uh, when you're depending on guys who are, are new to the program and if there's a new system altogether you're going to have some growing pains as guys are learning what this new coach wants to do so and yeah I think for us to have like for Marquette fans to have any like really excited expectations about making the tournament this year, we would have wanted to see DJ Carton and Dawson Garcia come back uh, along with Justin Lewis. Cause those were the three players for Wojo's last team that were really impact players um, that you would want back. And I, and I guess John too, of course, John was a senior and he took a COVID year. So I guess he technically could have come back, but he had decided he was moving on even before the coaching change. Justin but, Lewis, John. Where
7: he Justin Lewis
1: is still here. He's the one guy who oh, came back. So, yeah, that's what, that's what I was saying is of those, you would have wanted all three of those guys to come back, and Marquette that's only him. got one back, and that's Justin Lewis. So, obviously, Dawson Garcia, he went to North Carolina. DJ Carton decided to be uh, test his hand at the NBA. Uh, so, yeah, it's gonna. they are young, and there's so many new faces, and you know I, I got to look at a program to make sure I remember who's on this team right now. But you did mention Marcel, who is – Uh, who I think is a big addition because he is a uh, he's a grad transfer from Maryland, big 10 defensive player of the year. And when you think about Shaka smart, you are going to think about defense. Uh, You know, his maybe offenses have been up and down over the years, but he's had a top 40 defense on Ken Palm every year since his third year at VCU. So every year, his defense has been top 40 or better. So I think when we're looking for maybe progress for Marquette this year, uh, I think we're looking for this team to establish an identity defensively that will be led by more And the big question is who's going to score on this team. Uh, I mean, they may look at a guy here or there and say, maybe that guy can get you eight or 10 points a game, but I don't know if I, I see a guy who jumps out at me, who's going to get you 15 plus a game. So where's the offense going to come when they need a big bucket late, who's going to be taking that shot. Uh, I think those are the things that we're interested to learn about this team because there are just so many unknowns as far as all these young guys, when you've got nine guys who are either freshmen or sophomores.
0: And I think just all of that unknown, I feel like that's going to play a big role in that early part of the, the non-conference schedule because it's very challenging. Because you got to play Illinois, who still has Kofi Coburn. You got to play at Wisconsin. You got to play at Kansas State. Although Kansas State, I mean, they're, they're trash. Let's be real. And <laughs> but you, and you play UCLA at home in the in, in the in the second leg of the home and home um, that started last year, I mean, I I feel like. If you're a Marquette fan, given those games, I'm like, you have to be ready for some level of discipline because you're going to lose a good chunk of those games.
1: Oh, they're going to be dogs in every game that play against power conference teams, I think. Uh, or power conference teams out of conference, I would say. Because I think you're going to be a dog at Wisconsin. You're, even though Kansas State may not be that good, just because it's a road game, you might be a dog in Manhattan. Uh, you're certainly going to be a dog against UCLA. Uh, we'll see what happens in the Charleston Classic. I don't know much about Ole Miss. Maybe they're a dog in that game on a neutral court. If they play West Virginia, probably an underdog in that one too. And, yes, certainly a dog against Illinois. So, I, 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 to be realistic, I, if you can get two wins out of all those games I mentioned, I think you're jumping for joy if you're a Marquette fan, especially if one of them is Wisconsin. But, you, uh, yeah, I, I think you're probably – again, we, we want to win. We want to make the tournament. We want to see progress in the first year under Shaka. But, to be realistic – especially when these big games that get some really good teams coming up early on, uh, you, you got to brace yourself uh, for a few losses. I think to be fair, not that we're rooting for them, but you just got to be real that this team's young and they're just starting to gel.
0: So real, I mean, realistically, I mean, I, I, obviously I don't think that, I mean, I, 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 I'd be a dick if I said that they, they can finish dead last. I mean, let's be, I mean, if I'm being real, I'm like, because they I'm have a like, ceiling floor. Health, if,
1: if we're playing the ceiling floor game, I think you're lying. If you're saying the floor, isn't the, you know, the basement is finishing last place. That's I mean, the floor is by definition, the absolute worst that could happen. And so, yeah, I'd see that it is the worst that, but I am not expecting them to finish last or I would hope they could finish ninth or better. Uh, and, but yeah, the ceiling maybe may, maybe they surprise and maybe these young guys are better than we think. And maybe they have more ball handlers and shooters than I think right now. And if all that happens, yeah, maybe they do surprise and finish five, six, something like that. But, you know, I think realistic, maybe you hope you're in that seven, eight range. Uh, if you're, if we're being real about Marquette's expectations this year.
0: And obviously like first year head coach with a lot of new faces. Hey, you know, you never know. Cause is surprised with, you know, with teams from VCU, he, he, he's surprised at times with Texas, but <laughs> you know, obviously this is a completely new, a new venture. So we'll obviously, um, you know, that remains to be seen, but we still got five more teams to hit part three is coming up next. And I think for part three, no better team to hit. than, of course a team that made a lot of surprises, the rainy biggies tournament champion, Georgetown Hoyas, Patrick Waring's is going to lead off part three. And then, and then obviously, you know, we'll trick it down. Georgetown, another new coach um, in, um, in Chicago with Tony and DePaul hitting up Dan stack. And then we'll hit Blue Jays, Huskies and Bulldogs to close it out in part three. So that is coming up on the final part. Don't go anywhere. This is the season premiere of the Igloo, the second annual Biggie's Roundtable. Part three of the Roundtable continues and no no better place to begin this part with the rainy Biggie's Tournament champion, Georgetown Hoyas. Patrick Waring on the mic now and Again, the Hoyas, they shocked everybody, you know, winning the Big East tournament. Obviously, I feel like the energy that was put into winning the tournament, obviously, because they put so much into it, they, they lacked it in the NCAA tournament um, when they lost to Colorado. And honestly, there's no shame in losing to Colorado. Very good team. And you, know, you expect to lose guys like, you know, Pickett, Blair. But obviously, losing Kudus Wahab was a backbreaker, and that's, a, that's kind of a tough low for Georgetown to recover from. But there is a lot to look forward to, you know, with Dante Harris coming back, Chudier, um, no, Donald Carey also, um, if I'm not mistaken. But, I mean, it's still a good roster, young but talented.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Wahab move surprised everybody. You know, Ewan was big on him all year, praised him a lot. Um, and a lot of times, if you notice, you have to work for Ewan's praises in uh, media availabilities and whatnot, but I mean, he wasn't shy about talking about Q a lot. So to lose him, that was a shocker, but you know, they tried to bounce back with some of those, some of those uh, losses. Uh, Jamarco Pickett uh, leaves, of course, might <laughs> play, play for the Pistons tonight in a preseason game. Javon Blair is gone. Uh, Chudier Bile is gone. So just trying to make up for some of that. They did bring in Trey King from Eastern Kentucky. Uh, they brought in Caden Rice from the Citadel. He can really shoot it from behind the line. So trying to bring in some pieces to try to help uh, this year. Like you mentioned, uh, Dante Harris is a guy um, that they're going to be looking for a lot from. He was inserted into the starting lineup uh, early in the season last year and didn't look back. You know, he made a lot of moves and strides, especially in the Big East tournament. He really came alive. Uh, Don Kerry brings a lot of leadership. Uh, he's played at Mount St. Mary's in Siena before he came here. So uh, has a lot of court experience. He he can shoot it. So he brings them leadership. So I think by, behind Harris and Carey, they're gonna be kind of the guys leading the charge, so to speak. And then you got transfers coming in. You got Iga uh, Igwefe at center. So uh, and then you got a big young, a young class that's coming in. It's been talked about a lot. Um, Aminu Muhammad coming in. He's uh, he's coach's first five-star recruit coming in. You have Ryan Matumbo, Tyler Beard, Jalen Billingsley, Jordan Riley. So you got a lot of young guys coming in. So it's going to be an interesting year. A lot of excitement coming off the Big East tournament win. Um, now we're going to see how those guys kind of move on from that, from having a few guys left from that and a lot of young faces.
0: Now, obviously, you know, a lot of the guys that made that Big East championship run happen are gone. So it, it would be unfair to say, like, this team might have a hangover from winning that Big East tournament, and the high of that. But, I mean, they, they are challenging themselves quite a bit. You know, they go to California to play in the Wooden Legacy. They play Cuse at home. They got a game against TCU also at home. And they go to Columbia to play South Carolina. So they have some challenging games against, you know, some good teams. And they start that Wooden Legacy against san diego state so i mean i don't think having a hangover from that would be that would, would be that bad because unlike previous seasons under ewing they're you know they're facing some pretty tough teams in this non-conference late
3: yeah they are i you know i think the thing about this team i think i think the thing about last year's group and from what what we've been able to see getting a peek through social media and whatnot from these guys um I think they definitely enjoyed winning that last year, but I think they kind of put that to the side for right now. I think this is a group that's hungry. I think they want to prove they want to prove that they can play. Um, so I don't think they're really caught up on that anymore. You know, I'm not for sure what the expectations as far as each win is going to be each week, but I think you got a group that's working. You got a group that seems like they're they're bonding. Uh, Coach Crouch. Who's on the coaching staff? He seems to do a great job with these guys, as far as building rapport, working with them. Um, so I think the guys are motivated to go out and play. And I don't think I, you know, I don't think they're coming in this year with a big head. I don't think they're going to be talking about the tournament anymore. I think everything's focused on this year. Um, and it is a young group. You know, it's a young group. It's a lot of it's a lot of guys coming in new new pieces. So they uh, they are going to get tested early. The first three games will be at home, and then, like you said. They're going to hit the road, uh, so we're going to see what this team is made of. Um, after that, then come back home, play some games. You mentioned the Syracuse game, go down to South Carolina. So I think we're going to learn a lot about this team early. But I would also caution people too that it's probably going to be some growing pains early. And we've seen what happened last year when some things didn't go their way. We've seen the way the guys were kind of, you know, were, were able to rally. So, I would just tell people, man, you know, I think there's going to be some moments, there's going to be some highs, or maybe some moments where you're going to have to kind of uh, work with them a little bit. But um, I'm definitely interested to see what this group does.
0: And so, I mean, obviously, I mean, when you lose that much, like I feel like expecting the tournament would be a, a, a bit much, but, but just to maintain competitiveness, I mean, obviously, they finished in the bottom four of the league last year. But to I aspire to be in the middle of the pack, even better, mate, or, or even better to, considering they have some dogs that want them a biggies title. You know, obvious, but I think if they have low expectations according to the preseason poll in a couple weeks, I think that could help them like it did last year, where they played a lot more freely with with the lack of those expectations, you know?
3: Yeah, started from the bottom. We heard a coach say that. I actually talked to him in a call and asked him if Drake called him, would he do a remix on that song? He said it so much. So, you know, uh, I definitely think they're going to use stuff like that to motivate them. Um, I expect like a lot of people, I mean, to be honest, I, you know, I expect on the 19th media day, I expect them to be uh, ranked pretty low. Um, I think, I think the middle of the pack is something that they could do though. Um, I think if things roll roll the right way I think if this team grows I think that is a realistic expectation but I would expect them ranked low like you said maybe they use that for motivation I'm personally not too big on rankings and stuff like that like it doesn't really bother me as much if I see teams that I root for in other sports that they're ranked low it doesn't really bother me as much uh I expect them to use it as motivation but um I think this group can do some things, though, man. You know, I think this group can surprise some people at different points. Like I said, I'm really excited about Harris at point. Uh, I want to see what coaches is going to do down low, developing the big guys um, with Iga Wefe. You also got Malcolm Wilson, who's going to be returning. Uh, you got a couple guys that are kind of interchangeable, too. So, Caden, like I said, Caden Rice, I talked about him. He can shoot it. He's one of the top three-point shooters in the country. You can see him playing the two in the wing, Trey King coming. Will he play the four? Will he play a little five? So I think it's going to be interesting how they mix those guys. Don Kerry, Um, I think you can see him at the two to three, maybe even spell a little bit at the one. Uh, it, you know, if Harris plays off ball or if he's uh, getting a breather, Tyler Beard, a freshman, he came in, he actually did a prep year uh, in Virginia. So I think he's going to be ready to play as well. So, I think this team is looking to run. I think this team is going to be looking to run. They're going to be looking to put up some shots. So I think that's a tight basketball you can kind of expect. And the biggest thing, which I think they learned from in the beginning of the year, uh, they're going to have to take care of the basketball. So turnovers are definitely going to have to be something they're going to have to work on as far as taking care of the ball and giving themselves opportunities to score.
0: hundred percent. And, you know, (laughs) talk about Drake. I mean, hell, you know, with the way that Ewing took on that mantra, Hell, get Drizzy to Midnight Madness in the nation's capital. Let's make it happen. Why not at this point?
3: Yeah, <laughs> no doubt, man. Look, Coach Kane. You know, Coach had some moments last year. I don't know if you guys were on any of the calls or if you, or you know, if you followed. Obviously, what he said at the Big East tournament made a lot of headlines um, as far as my house and the whole thing with security. But I mean, during the course of the year, man. I mean, he, you know, he referenced some trash talk with Phil Jackson at times. Of course. Started from the bottom was a big thing. I mean, he talked about his gumbo a lot. Chef Ewan kind of mixing, you know, mixing the pieces together. Talked about Biggie. So I think his personality came out a little bit more this year. And I think he got some stuff off his chest, you know, in the Big East tournament. So some things didn't go right with the program. Obviously, everyone knows uh, in year three. And so I think that felt good for them to get some success at Madison Square. So. I think the guys are going to come out a little looser this year.
0: I I, I totally agree with you. Now, um, talk. Let's talk about a, a team that will probably be like Georgetown towards the bottom, probably at the very bottom, uh, under first-year head coach Tony Subblefield, The DePaul Blue Demons, Dan Stack, back on the round table for the second straight year, and uh, again for DePaul, I mean, you lose Charlie Moore, um, you lose Pauli Poly Cap. You know this, I mean. I, I, it's gonna. I don't want to say it's like it's gonna be another DePaul like season where they're not gonna be very good, but I mean, they because of you know they lost two big time dogs and more and Paula Cap, and you're under a first year head coach. You, you it, it's tough to imagine DePaul. You know, you know any anything finishing better than tenth or even just better than dead last is. A success, but obviously it's going to be a season of growing pains in the winning city again, Dan.
10: Yeah, that's that's definitely true.
11: I, I, we don't have visions of grandeur. It was all about a complete purge. Um, ever since um, they hired uh, Dwayne P.V. as their athletic director for two years, they've got a new athletic director. They got a new head coach. They didn't retain any assistant coaches, even though some people wanted them because they had some two good recruiting um, assistants that they thought were good, and Tim Anderson and Mark Shue, but. The results speak for themselves, and they only brought back four players. So this is um, a year of adjustment. It's a year of building culture and, and see if he can um, bring his winning mentality they brought to him from Oregon. I mean, he's coached under some really good coaches. Stubblefield, he's learned under – he was the associate head coach for that, for uh, Altman at Oregon for 11 years. He coached under Cronin at Cincinnati. He coached under Lou Henson at, their, on, uh, at uh, New Mexico State. So he's got a lot of experience. He's got connections all over the world he's very tied into nike obviously with his connections with nike with uh oregon and nike um so he's he's laying down something of a, of a of a purge and it's just complete re, re, reconstruction of the program and they're going to have their their, their most because they have seven newcomers you know uh and it's it's going to be all about adjusting getting to know each other they're probably going to struggle early it's just about Getting better as the season goes along, you know, and, and that's something that
7: Lido never did. In his first, you know, he had some
11: flashes of brilliance, you know, like you know, in nineteen twenty season when they were twelve and one, but there was never any consistency. Never, they were better the next year than the year before. It was just, it was just, it was a sinking ship, and they were trying to pour the water out, and it just it didn't work. So we just, we're, it's all about adjustment and building for the future again. But we have to stay in, stay locked in, and uh, hope for better things going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and they do get to challenge themselves. I think it's good that, you know, they are challenging themselves, you know, playing Rutgers at home in the, in the Gavit games, uh, going down to Louisville in December, playing Loyola Chicago at Wintrust, uh, uh, you know, a program that has been to a Final Four, now a Sweet 16 this past year, and playing that Northwestern again, um, you know, they're going to face some challenges. But overall, I mean, obviously, I mean, expectations are low. Like, what do you think could possibly be, like, a best-case scenario for this group?
10: Uh,
11: yeah. I mean,
0: I, I like the individual talent. It's all about to come together. I mean, we, we got our best
11: player comeback, Javon freeman was literally the heart and soul of our team. Charlie Moore grabbed a lot of headlines, but, you know, his effective field goal rate and, and turnover – to turnover just abysmal. Um, he, he can shoot you out of the game just as much as he can shoot you out of the game. And most of the times, so it was out of the game. Um, he was, you know – he would just drive in the traffic and didn't know what he was doing a lot of the times. It, I mean, maybe it was a little rural, rural shit because he had Lato as a head coach, but Jamal Fiemelner is more even-killed, heavy player than uh, Charlie Moore. And he's um, great defensively. Um, I expect him to be better this year. Um, uh, and then as far as returners, you know, they got David Jones, who showed some flashes of uh, upside. Um, he can play either forward position, and you got Nick Angenda. Um, shop liker, shop uh, extreme, uh, supreme shop blocker, and they got um, one of the best names in college basketball, Kavasi, and McCauley comeback, he's a decent yes. shooter, yes, yeah. And uh, the new guys, I mean, mostly you know, they got a lot of guys from power five teams. I mean, they got Jalen Terry, um, he was a top 50 recruit, it's Oregon, he he knows self-foot well, so he's going to be our starting point guard. A lot of upside there, you got Brandon Johnson from the. He was a starter for the for Minnesota. Got uh, Javon Johnson was a starter for Iowa State. I'll be on a bad Iowa State team. They got guy who was the number one JUCO recruit two years ago. And went to Kansas. Didn't really find his groove there. Tyon Grant Foster. Um, and you know they got you know another guy who was uh, on a Big Twelve team two years ago. It was SMU last year. Uh, URNA, another shop blocker. Uh, so those you know we got some high upside transfers and uh, and also one of the best Chicago recruits in the last couple of years, Amon Bynum, very exciting. They call him the black cat. He's a great shooter, great slasher. So they got individually, you know, some good talent, but it's gonna take a while to get together. And yeah, I, I see the ceiling as the, um, uh, maybe eighth, ninth, but I doubt it. But you know, on the floor, obviously the basement again, but it's all about the year after and the year after and getting up more up the ladder, so. So, I something I just
0: thought about like, is would the equivalent of the ceiling is the roof be the floor is the basement? I think so. Yeah. So, like, I guess that would be the ball, like, the floor is the basement. Like, I mean, yeah. it's actually that's how it is. I mean, um, but, anyways, so let's moving, uh farthest west to good old Omaha, somewhere in middle America, as the county crows uh, famously professed, and John Rothstein constantly tweets whenever Creighton wins.
2: Please America. don't tell What's that? Please don't mention that name on this podcast.
0: I just, I mean, I only say because it, it gets annoying. Like, I, trust me, I know. It gets annoying for me, too. I love the song. Hate Is Villanova a uh, Fortune 500 <laughs> company? I don't
11: know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, but the Blue Jays, man, you know, we talked about how great they were last year. Unfortunately, you lose Ziggy and a lot of the core that made that team go in 1920 and 2021. But, I mean, this is a new era. And, you know, we talked about Aminu Muhammad being a big time name for Georgetown that could potentially win Biggie's freshman of the year. Creighton's got a candidate of their own in the form of Arthur Kaluma. Um, and he's gonna he's part of a young team that is very talented, has some question marks, but the talent's definitely there and obviously for Greg McDermott, the expectations of the tournament, they have the talent to do it.
2: Yeah, I don't even know if there's only one option for freshman of the year on Creighton's roster because they're all so young. Um, you know, so far in practice, uh, you know, Ryan Nemhard has probably been the best player. So that's your freshman point guard right there. Um, you know, and, and, uh, they just had their pro day the other day or yesterday. And I thought Trey Alexander was the best player in the gym for that. So that's another freshman. And then obviously Arthur Kaluma, you know, he's a, stretch big, can shoot the three, can drive it, big physical, um, athletic, showed really well in the FIBA um, Afro basketball qualifiers, which was against, it. Well, it. you know, normally that's, you're playing your own age group when you're in those FIBA tournaments before you get to college, but Arthur was in a rare situation where he was playing against actual pros, um, you know, guys in their mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s type of situation. So he was playing against grown men, And uh, had a really impressive tournament, I think, impressed a lot of a lot of scouts in that regard, too, because he wasn't really one of those guys who um, was on that radar before that tournament. So there's a lot of options, I think, for Creighton in terms of which freshmen can make an impact. And, um, you know, you have Mike Miller's son, Mason, he's a freshman too. John Christoffel is a sharpshooter from the. Pacific Northwest, uh, you know, it's, I, I think it might be one of these years where each guy shows flashes for, you know, two to three game stretches here and there, where that you think that they're um, about to come on and then someone else steps up. I think it's going to be one of those kind of years because there really isn't an established identity with so much that's new to the roster. So that's going to be the, the, the thing to watch for this team is just how what the identity, how, how what, what their identity forms into, right? Because obviously, the team that just moved on, the group that just moved on, was extremely deadly offensively. When they got going, it was it, there isn't a team in the country that could score with them, with the exception of Gonzaga last year, with the year prior, maybe a Dayton, um, when they were firing all cylinders. And then on the other side of the floor, they had a really strong, like, bulldog mentality in terms of getting stops and rebounding well out of their positions, despite not necessarily being the most uh, impressive team off the bus, I guess, if you know what I'm saying, uh, in terms of height and length and everything. They made up for it with just that that bulldog mentality, that, that toughness mindset that they established the year prior. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of the, that's the intriguing thing about this team when they're so young. Uh, that you know that there's going to be ups and downs, and you know that there's going to be inconsistencies. So you, you take that and you expect it. Um, so you just wonder who kind of responds the best to it, right? Because so, they're also young, and even the experienced guys that are on the roster are new to the system. You know that Ryan Hawkins is um, a transfer from Northwest Missouri State, it's a Division II school, but he won two national cha- three national championships there. Um, was defensive player of the year there and he's been shooting the ball really well in practice as that, you know, that stretch four guy. Uh, Then you have Keyshawn Fiesel from McNeese state uh, also started his career at Mississippi state. So he's had, he's been around a couple places and you know, he's, he's seems to be in a good spot mentally right now. And he's been shooting the ball well in practice to give them some kind of an option there in terms of a guy, a five man who can just stretch the floor and, and make teams respect the spacing that Creighton's trying to develop. Uh, But he also, he's a big body. He can rebound, he can dunk, he can play above the rim. Um, He's a big physical guy. And then, you know, you have Ryan Kalkbenner and Sharif Mitchell, who are the veterans that were on the team last year. And in Sharif's case, the year prior that have a chance to kind of establish themselves as, you know, the veterans that uh, will be relied on early, um, given their experience, um, relative to the rest of the team.
0: So, you know, honestly, you know, expectations wise, you know, like I feel like it's a mixed bag. Some people think have them really high. Others have them kind of low. Um, where would you personally, you know, put them in, in the hierarchy of the big East? You know, obviously we'll find out what the preseason poll says, but you know, where would you have them on the totem pole right about now?
2: Yeah, that's, that's I've been trying to get a grasp of that as we get closer to, you know, having to, I guess, make those uh, determinations publicly. Right? We have to. It's kind of our role to make these predictions before the season goes along, so we can either pat ourselves on the back or call each other idiots at the end of the day. Um. um yeah, I don't I, with Creighton. I don't know because it's their their success is relative to the Big East, right? So who do I trust to be? Um the top of the big East, like Villanova, obviously they have a, a ton returning. Uh, then you, you have the J Wright factor. And then you also like the young players they brought in. Right. So Villanova, you feel like is, you feel pretty confident that Villanova's the prohibited favorite in the league going in right now. And then I don't know who I trust it to. Like St. John's is really talented. Um, You certainly like the posh Alexander, Julian, Champagny duo, right? But do you have a lot of faith in the rest of the roster yet? I don't know if you can make that determination at this point. I think it's a wait and see for them. UConn without James Booknight, like they're really talented, but we also saw without Booknight last year that they really struggled to score. I mean, even with Booknight, they struggled to score. So where do they fill that void when – was able to solve so many problems with him with his individual brilliance how does how does UConn facilitate some of that uh offensively we know what they're going to be defensively they're going to just they're going to be dogs up and down the roster Um, they're going to rebound really well they're going to protect the rim um the question with them will be can they score enough and how um Seton Hall I don't know man I feel like I don't know – I felt like they weren't – they were trending towards the middle of the pack last year, and that's kind of where they settled into uh, despite their up-and-down nature. They, they certainly showed they were capable of, of competing with the best in the league, but they also showed they were capable of losing to the worst. So Yeah,
0: like they played you know, up and down to their competition.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I don't I, – I feel like when you play up and down to your competition over a long period of time like Seton Hall does, I feel confident that you're a middle-of-the-pack team. So until they show me something different, that's kind of where I have them. But Xavier, I think, should be really good. They have a lot of experience, a lot of talent back. I'd be surprised if they're not a top half of the league team. Uh, Butler, I think, is underestimated by a lot of teams. Now, I don't know where they're going to be picked, but based on you know the odds makers, they're somewhere in the 8 to 10 range, which I think is a little bit silly because they have so much experience back. And how injured they were probably didn't go um noticed enough. Like they just didn't have any continuity last year. They, so I think that down
6: those fox odds we saw like two weeks ago, Matt.
2: Yeah, that's kind of the only thing I'm yeah, going they, off of right now because there's they, not much else there. They, so I think Butler is the top half of the league team. That's that that was surprising to me to see. I don't they, know where you guys did, like night. five like,
6: to one to win the conference and I, you know, that's so you you guys were second choice and I am saying, you know, not for nothing. You know, I love what Creighton's done the last couple of years, but you know, they're on paper, they're not the second best team in the league. Yeah. I think the odds makers just took last year's standings and just said, okay, Villanova's, let's say minus three hundred, and then we're gonna put Creighton second because they came in second. They and they were they were fairly solid second place in the regular season standings. They were what a game and a half ahead of Connecticut at the end of the season. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there was a considerable gap between Creighton and U- I mean, not considerable, where it was like a huge gap, but like, I mean, you could tell, like, like Creighton was here, UConn was just maybe like a, a run or two down the ladder.
2: The thing that's and they beat Connecticut when you way. see the odds maker thing, I I my first reaction is to be surprised by how high Creighton's chances are of winning the league. On the other hand, though, they do have a top, like, five or six recruiting class. That, I mean, in college basketball, that usually is pretty good. Like, you, you usually see teams that have that at their disposal um, not miss a beat, right? Like, they, that's a, that's usually 20 wins, 20, to 25 wins NCAA tournament. Because talent just translates, you know, when you have that level of talent collectively, it translates, right? So, you're not usually you can make up for it most nights, even if you don't play well, you can just out talent most of, you know, 25 of the 35 teams you play. Right. So um, I see this. I, I was surprised at Creighton's odds, but they, I also see like, well, you know, they do have a lot of what the evaluators think is a talented freshman core. Like, so does that help fill some of the gap there? The only thing is, I just think experience is what wins you championships and NCAA tournament games at the end of the day in college basketball, and they don't have that. So that's the question mark for me there. Um, I think their talent will win them some games that maybe they weren't projected to. So the question is, what do you do with the rest of the games where it's like a coin toss, right? So who wins those type of battles? Who wins the the Creighton UConn battle where Yukon's trying to find replacement for Book Night? Um, and Creighton's trying to replace, like, Zagorowski, Balik, all these guys they had, trusted scorers, trusted shooters. Like, you know, that's something that – that's why it's always tough to project this stuff because you just don't know the answer until you see it on film, and I think that's kind of what we're, we're walking into with this league as a whole. If you make me trust – if you make me trust someone right now, the only one I trust – the only teams I trust are Villanova, Butler, Xavier, honestly. Like, they're the only teams that I know what they're bringing back everybody else has too many question marks that could go either direction for their teams. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's kind of tough.
0: Yeah. It really, it really is going to be interesting. I mean, I feel like odds makers, I mean, sometimes they know best other times they don't, but you know, that's obviously remains to be seen. Uh, and, you know, I, you know, obviously I think with Creighton, I mean, I think it would be unfair. you know, like, this is what we should expect of them because with, you know, their youth, and a lot of other, a lot of other factors, what is there to expect other than, yeah, they have talent, but for the guys that haven't played in a college game, we don't know how that's going to translate because they've never been in that environment before. And I think that's a pretty good way. Um, because now, uh, I think now that, you know, making sure, you know, we want to space it out, you know, people want to, when they hear this, you know, they don't want to, you know, be stuck in the same thing. So, you know, let's break it up, break it up. So we're going to go down to the Dog Pound to close out um, close out the panel part five. Got Huskies and Bulldogs. Oh, my. Uh, Thomas Justino and Pat Matter representing the Butler Bulldogs. They are going to close it out. They'll be our Mariano Rivera's, John Franco, Trevor Hoffman, whatever team you root for, they're going to be the closers for this, uh, for the roundtable part uh, year two. So uh, join us in the Dog Pound. we we'll close it out after this. Off to the Dog Pound to close it out. UConn and Butler remain and will start in stores, Hartford, whatever you want to call it, um, in the state of Connecticut with the UConn Huskies. First year back in the Biggies, they make the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2016. It, behind James Booknight, it proved to be a lottery pick, 11th overall to the Hornets. Um, and Thomas Justino, you know, obviously <laughs> when Booknight was on the floor, they were really, really good. And very few teams beat them at full, um, at full strength. Creighton being one of them, Villanova another, and then uh, Creighton actually twice with Book Knight. And then, obviously, in the NCAA tournament, they had some expectations as a seven seed, but they kind of flopped. And I think, I mean, yeah, there were some games where they looked bad, but they probably didn't look as bad <laughs> overall as they did against Maryland at Mackey Arena um, to close the season.
4: Yeah, I don't want to talk about the Maryland game too much, but we can. Um, yeah, last night, like you said, it was – or Last year it was the book night show, and uh, as Matt touched on earlier, everyone, the whole offseason, where are they going to go for scoring? They have what everyone keeps saying is a bunch of role players, but I think R.J. Cole, he scored 20 points a game when he was at Howard. The Big East is not Howard, but, you know, I think he can become like a 15-point-per-game kind of scorer. Tyrese Martin – he kind of, he seemed to kind of get into a groove when book night was out, but then his inconsistent play, I actually think was a product of book night being in and out and kind of changing roles so much from kind of being, you know, the one or two guy to taking a step back where book night basically had the ball for you know 35 minutes. And uh, yeah, I actually, I, I wrote about the Maryland game for big East coast bias and I called it a game of mismatches, and the mismatches favored Maryland. So, I hate to say it, but I think I kind of saw it coming. And I watched Maryland quite a bit last year. And Daryl Morcel is a huge pickup for Shaka and Marquette. Um, Hopefully, he doesn't terrorize the Huskies again this year. But he, you know, he's a lockdown defender, and yeah, Maryland just made UConn look like. They were lost on the court against them.
0: So, I mean, obviously, you know, there are some going to be some important other pieces. I mean, I, I mean, let's not forget about, I mean, when Book Night went down, the guy who stepped up was Tyler freaking Polly, who mm-hmm. had shot the freaking lights out like I'd never seen before. I was like, what in the hell is happening in Milwaukee? Like, are we in the Twilight Zone? But I mean, granted, he's got that ability, but no one expected him to like. Do that, and it's unfair to expect him to be that kind of guy. But like, we've seen times where Cole, Polly, and even Tyrese Martin to an extent have taken over games before. But to do that over the course of now a 31 game season compared to, you know, what, 20 ish, mm-hmm. 20, like 22, 23 games, I don't know. Like, that, that's like a, a completely different animal this time around. And, you know, again, you know, it's going to be difficult to like try to like anticipate what is going to happen now that you're back in the regular flow of things. And now you have a regimented schedule compared to normal years.
4: Yeah. I mean, so I think one factor too that we're not really considering is last year, there weren't fans at most arenas, right? In the American conference, that was basically true regardless of COVID. So UConn, the players are going to have to play in a packed house and teams don't like UConn. That's pretty well known, right? They're, old Big East rivals are not going to be welcoming, probably. But I think everything starts and ends on defense with them, right? They're going to, hopefully, they should lead the league in block shots, probably rebound. And their offense has to flow in transition. I, I, that's the main way I see them scoring. And, of course, coaches always say that, get out and run, and then they don't do it. UConn in a half court last year, even with book nights, trouble at times, um so it's going to be a question I think by the end of the year if the Huskies are rolling I think Jordan Hawkins the freshman I think he's going to be the the guy taking the shots in crunch time but we'll see that's me putting unfair expectations on a freshman
0: sure yeah and you know I mean you do have some guys you know that that did start in book night's place when he was injured you know know, Brendan Adams stepped up Jalen Gaffney Uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. in that spot. Uh, I mean, obviously in terms of, you know, who's going to be the next best team behind Villanova, you know, in that conversation, you know, UConn, Xavier, St. John's, I think are probably in that tier. Uh, But how does UConn separate themselves from those teams to be that legitimate number two behind the cats?
4: Yeah, I think it, you know, it's, it's an odd year for UConn because if they're thin anywhere, it's at the guard position. So Hurley has said that their offense is going to run through Sonogo, which I don't know if I'm the biggest fan of that, but I think that their front court is what's going to keep them, you know, two through four in the league. They're as deep as I can remember, right. They have, I think four or five guys that are six, eight or taller that can all essentially be interchangeable. You can go small and play a cook or Whaley at the five, um, so their front cor- their front court gives them a lot of versatility. And I think that that's maybe what can help them kind of stand out from that two through four. Yeah.
0: And of course, I mean, I think just having the man that they is uh, that's officially called the wrench, you know, anchoring the defense, you know, I think that will separate them to be that second best team, but obviously the, re- the, the expectation should be NCAA tournament. Like, do you, like, do you have any like idea of
4: maybe what kind of seed they should be shooting for? Yeah, I mean, I would like to see them as, you know, fringe top 25 team at a minimum this season. So I would think, you know, maybe a four seed is like their ceiling, if I'm, you know, being realistic. But anywhere from like four to six, I think, is, should be the expectation. And that should hopefully improve each year that Hurley's there now.
0: Yeah, and, you know, and again, you know, you're one of the biggies, you know, like, just UConn being in the biggies just feels right, and I feel like they're more motivated playing in the biggies than they were against the AAC. You know, you're probably more inclined to wake up for a game against, like, hell, I'd rather be playing DePaul than fucking Tulane.
4: Yeah, there's no question. I mean, and you'll see on Twitter all the, the AAC Mafia, as they call themselves, they're always saying, oh, you want to go watch UConn play Creighton? You want to watch versus DePaul. Yes. Not even a question. Those uconn Creighton games were awesome last year.
7: Yeah, right.
4: There Book Knight scored 40. It was basically Book Knight versus Creighton. Yeah. And uh in the end or in at MSG in the big East tournament, we'll call it a rock fight. That was not exactly an offensive showing, but But it it was was close fight though. It was down to the wire. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was great. Like I mean, yeah. Like and this is this is an AAC slander
0: show people. (laughs) Get to <laughs> like,
4: Hey, look, I know AAC. people in the Marquette fan
1: base. Sorry to jump in, but there are sure. definitely people in the Marquette fan base who loved mocking UConn for some losses they had in the AAC. But I'm telling you, if a lot of teams in the Big East played every game in the AAC, we would have had embarrassing losses too. Because yeah, if you, you play, play
4: – down And it's, it's hard to get up when there's no fans in the arena and you're, you know, in the middle of nowhere. it's Those things matter as much as people don't want to admit it. Yeah, and you touched on it earlier, but it's I think it's going to be so big for UConn kind of going forward.
1: When you're going to a top 50 kid in New York or in Philadelphia or in DC, they're more interested and in say, "Oh, I get to play you know close to my family at all these schools." And when you're saying, "Well, we got road games against East Carolina and Tulsa," it's just mm-hmm. not that
4: appealing to them. So UConn's recruiting is going to come back very quickly. I think I think literally every single recruit that has committed since. The transition back to the Big East has cited that as a major factor. So, it's, like, yeah,
0: literally, like, would you rather play your big your conference tournament in Madison Square Garden or fucking Fort Worth, Texas? Yeah. Riddle me that. <laughs> I,
4: I lived in hey, Texas. For Fort Worth years.
0: isn't bad.
2: Man.
4: I live in Fort <laughs> Worth, <laughs> Texas.
2: Has Whataburger, so there is some like you know. <laughs> the, I don't
4: know they, if that's they, incentive enough. They, they play
2: in they Dickie's play in, is in, Arena is
0: beautiful. Then again, it's called Dickie's Arena. Case closed.
2: It's Boom. So I've heard
0: Yeah, yeah. Penis humor, guys. Woo. <laughs> Ooh. It, it's a real zinger there, but that's the I thing, guess, about,
2: the thing was... about UConn, though, is that's fun. Is like they there's an edge to the matchups from the standpoint of UConn thinking they're hot shit, and then oh yeah, uh, the... like the, like there's UConn thinking they're hot shit. And then the Big East like hating that UConn thinks it's hot shit like so that didn't exist in the AAC in the AAC UConn was hot shit and the rest of it was literal hot shit right so yeah I think the yeah. edge the edge makes it fun let yeah UConn's back like for sure know, yeah they have a target on their back but they, I think they embrace that part of it too
4: yeah the fans definitely uh love riling up other fan bases and letting it be known that they think they're the top dog and they're back to take the conference but yeah realistically villanova sits atop the throne until somebody else decides to claim that spot
2: i think that makes it fun for yukon too because like they probably don't think villanova should be there but villanova is so it gives UConn something to like strive for to, to know.
4: reclaim
2: their spot a little bit there you know
4: yeah i mean growing up watching the old big east right villanova was like they were fine but yeah i hated georgetown syracuse providence sorry i i those are the teams that yeah yeah exactly right and Villanova was like ah you know they were there but they weren't at the forefront and now they're like man they don't look like they're going anywhere anytime soon Mm -hmm. oh yeah
0: and honestly another another AAC school I want to pick on yeah no one wants to go to Greenville North Carolina let's be real people (laughs) East Carolina sucks LOL. Yeah. Even the Yukon beat writers are complaining about it at a Waffle House to do with no teeth. It's like, as long as you're not beating <laughs> our cocks, we're, we're fine. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, okay, I'm going to go now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm going to tell March Madness stories this season. I think, I think the world needs to hear them, especially about mama to that Waffle House in South Carolina. That's for another time. But last but not least, got touched on them Butler Bulldogs with the unofficial Butler representative for this Pat Madden for the big, big East blog, you know, Matt has tucked on it. We know what Butler's made of. We know what they're bringing back. This is a team that, you know, under Laval Jordan.
6: Yeah, the good news, if you're a Butler fan, is everyone's coming back. The bad news is everyone's coming back from a team that came in 10th. Now, part of the reason was that Aaron Thompson was hurt a good deal of the season. Part of it was that you were expecting something from Bo Hodges, who was – Uh, who is the transfer coming in, I think, from Hampton.
0: East Tennessee State.
6: Well, well, wherever he was coming, wherever Hodges was coming from, Hodges got hurt and didn't uh, contribute much. Most of them emerged. The freshman was Chuck Harris, the guard, who's got the weird-looking jump shot, but somehow the ball finds the net when Harris throws it up. And he's going to be that much better his sophomore year uh, than he was his freshman year. And then you bring back the rest of the starting lineup, the two Bryce's, Enzi and Golden, uh, who we know what they can do. Enzi's a Enzy's a very you know crafty power forward type guy. Can score inside, uh, but has a good mid range game. Bryce Golden's got a very good mid range game. Uh, he's also apparently lost a lot of weight, so he's going to be a little more mo- a, top, a healthy Thompson playing with him. And because defenses are going to key in on Harris, mm-hmm. Bolden might be the type of guy who's going to surprise people by getting a lot of open shots. What's yeah, that for? You-
0: you know, let's not forget Miles Tate, though.
6: I was about to. You know, oh, Tate's coming to off issue. a knee surgery, so you got to keep uh, got to keep an eye on Miles Tate a little bit because he's coming off he's coming off a knee surgery. Uh, but apparently he's healthy, uh, and apparently he's going to be good to go starting opening day. And then they bring in some new pieces. They bring in a transfer guy, Ty Grulke, who's going to be a big body in the middle. And then they have one of the best recruits they've had from the state of Indiana on the road, which has Harris Tate. Hughes, and a couple of the other younger guys. Uh, Miles Wilmoff, we never mentioned, We haven't mentioned. Wilmoff's going to be a guy who's going to be a solid front court piece uh, for Butler going forward. So I think this is the type of year where everyone's there. Jordan has a lot of talent to work with. Uh, and, of course, they play in the second hardest building in the Big East to win, Hinkle Fieldhouse. You think that they beat Villanova there last year. They beat Seton Hall there. They beat St. John's. They yeah. beat Creighton. Yeah, Pat, so, they were seven and th- games at Hinkle. That's already a big head start towards getting yourself in a solid position in the league standings. Of that being said, I don't think they necessarily have the talent to compete with teams like Villanova and St. John's. So if I was going to put a ceiling on Butler, I'd probably have him as fourth. If I was going to put a floor on Butler, though, I think their floor is seventh. I predicted them in sixth place. Uh, I think that sixth place probably puts you on the bubble in the NCAA tournament. And I think Butler fans, considering, you know, they want to get Thompson out in a good note. They want to get Enzi out in a good note building again. Uh, they're going to have all that excitement that comes of it. And they probably thought they were going to make a deep run in 2020 when they had Kamar Baldwin. So I think making the tournament, you know, and, and being good enough maybe to win one or two games in the NCAA tournament is something that the Butler fan base you know, that's sort of aspirational for Butler to make the tournament and win a game or two. But then again, you look at the talent they have, you look at the experience they have, and, you know, if if they ended up, let's say, seventh place and sitting in the NIT, that would be a little bit of a disappointment for Butler.
2: So, you know, like – here's the – did we say Miles Tate's going to be practicing? That's like – that's seven months post-tour ACL. That's, That's not happening.
6: Well, look at Zegarowski, though. I mean,
2: Zachary didn't, didn't tear his ACL.
6: Yeah, it was like, well, I mean, it was just, what? Like his meniscus?
2: Yeah, that wasn't, that was like a, it's a four month thing. There's, yeah, no, mean, I, no, yeah. there's no way, Miles, if Miles Tate plays, I mean, off, day, like, that's he's got great. John
6: Cena recovery, you would be mad, to, to be honest, I mean, most of my thinking in the offseason was that, you know, Tate was good. If, if, if they got Tate and ready for the Big East, with the Big East Conference, that would be a major accomplishment, but I mean, the way off co- on the non-conference stuff as they're going to put on conference play, yeah, they're playing in the Maui Invitational, which is now in Las Vegas, uh, but I don't, I, based upon what I'm looking at, they got to start right off the bat with, of all teams, you know, we go AC, AAC bashing here, but they got to play a team that's a legitimate AAC power in Houston. So, I mean, I, I don't know if I, let's be honest, Houston's coming off a of Final Four. So to have Butler beat Houston, and then Butler's got to play, uh, if I remember correctly, they're playing Michigan State in a huge Gavitt game, mm-hmm. and then and then they and then they play Purdue to win a few of those games to get themselves in position where you know they're look you know again ten and 10, 11 and nine in the Big East, maybe even twelve and eight, and you can get some type of record like that along with a very you know a, a non conference schedule to give them a good net. Uh, they have a very reasonable case to be on the bubble and to sneak into the NCAA tournament, you know, maybe a playing game, maybe a 9 or 10 seed, you know, and, and then in the team with that type of experience, is somebody that, you know, is going to hang in. I mean, the way Butler plays, they play slow, they play good DCA tournament.
0: You know, like, it, but I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, though. If Bryce Golden can shoot from three like he did in that one game, albeit in a loss at UConn, this team's a lock. If they could could get Golden to shoot from three at that rate, because he he rarely shoots for three. But if he gets on and he starts draining some threes, like, oh, my God, like, Butler could do something. Like, because, I mean, Golden's the least likely guy. But I'll tell you what, though. If Miles Tate is good to go after a torn ACL by by opening day, like, we're talking John Cena – Recovery level because he tore he tore this yes,
10: this tape right. thing reminds me a lot of uh, a cooker cook last year UConn fans thought he'd come yeah. back from a torn Achilles yeah. he'd be good to go day one and I tried to tell him nobody wanted to listen but that's fine
4: I don't know why anyone thought that Ty- yeah. Tyler Polly even I think kind of had he had some great games last year but I think you can expect hopefully more consistency from him this year two years out from his ACL injury. Yeah, that's why. I
6: mean, I mean, I mean, Achilles, true. you know, you you have Harris, you have Thompson, you have Bolden. So you have got you have guys mm-hmm. who can can shoot and score the basket for for. Now Tate Tate anywhere near what he was like his freshman year puts them you know a little a different level talent wise uh, yeah. than they are. I mean, if they, if they have Tate, if they have Tate
2: back, I think they're easily the second best team in the league. Like that's I wasn't even factoring him into the equation. That's why I was like, maybe they could do it. Things that made him dynamic last year, they absolutely have enough pieces to finish second. Considering the question marks that are riddled throughout the rest of the league, you know that's basically relative to, like I said, relative to the rest of the the conference. Like, you know, Aaron Thompson, when he's at his best, you know he's the best perimeter defender among the point guards in the league. Um, and if he gets in the, paint, I think
6: Alexander. He makes plays I think- I think Alexander a very defense. I mean, in terms of talent, no. speed, speed, is, Alexander no. is no. a better athlete than Thompson. But Thompson Posh, plays Posh is better, all. Posh is all. And Thompson is six foot two, six foot three. So a six yeah. foot guy is going to be easier. Like a guy like Gillespie, if he can handle Alexander's speed, is going to dominate Alexander. Whereas a guy like Thompson is going to be a lot. You know, as even we saw a couple of times when they played last season, Thompson gave gillespie difficulty so mm-hmm. you know in that sense you know you, that's a guy who because he plays because he's a, he's a basic defender because he's been in the system but for butler for now five years you know a guy like uh, thompson because thompson's gonna stick to him because that's that's just the way thompson plays defense yeah. and thompson's a little bit better athletically than gillespie so that's why he gives gillespie a challenge alexander gives gillespie a challenge for different reasons because he's got fast hands and, you know, and, and because he can, you know, sneak the, like he did that game at Seca in January where he just dominated Gillespie because Gillespie didn't know what was coming. And then when they had the rematch down in Villanova a month later, Gillespie. Pavilion and Big East play since realignment.
0: 40 and one. Like that's insane. Like I think they've lost like seven or eight games at Wells Fargo, just one Feneron Pavilion. And you know who handed them that loss? the Butler Bulldogs, just pointing that out there. I think it's absolutely insane, but I'll tell you what though, if there's anything that I'm looking forward to seeing games in these bigger arenas, I mean, yeah, we know Creighton got to play games at CHI, Seton Hall played games at the rock. um, But seeing, you know, UConn playing games at the XL center, even though a place that will hopefully not have the ice melt again (laughs)
10: Well, you know, well, we've had the ice, but I mean, the, the pavilion for Villanova—they can't invest in the in the curtains or, or blinds or whatever. You remember that game against Yeah, yeah. And The sun shining through it was ridiculous.
7: Right.
0: Yeah. No, that was that was yeah that that was bad. I'm like, okay, like there's no excuse for that. I mean,
6: warm weather and will and cause Hinkle's
2: ice. Got, Hinkle's got like the leaky roof, where they had to put a bucket up there, like.
6: Oh yeah,
2: yeah. the Hinkle bucket. Yeah. There's yeah.
6: Some Ricky. Um, that was that was... was a
2: volleyball game and it was the first time i'd been in an arena that was like packed for uh since the Creighton Seaton Hall game right before uh you know the pandemic got got us good so yeah the, and in the creighton Nebraska volleyball match, I was like, I mean, there was probably about 12,000 people, and it was pretty, it, like, you have to, like, it, it's just a shock to your system to be back in that environment again after not being in it for, you know, the better part of a year, so, yeah, it's going to take, the first time you guys are all in it, savor it till you're in it again. you like, oh, yeah, wow. Like, it'll
0: feel crazy. surreal to, like, be back in, like, a full venue again, because, like, I mean, I went to PNC Park in May, but, like, it was no one was there because, well, the Pirates suck, but, it's beside the point, but like, once I get in a fully jam-packed arena, like that'll feel different. I know Wells Fargo will fill up for Nova, but I mean, if there's anywhere to go watch a game of the biggie, especially in tournament time, it's Madison square garden. And you know, like St. John's will have some big games there, obviously against UConn Super Bowl Sundays, one I'm looking forward to. They play Georgetown there on a big one. Uh, Seton hall. Which yeah. is isn't exactly uh, gonna,
8: it isn't, it isn't exactly gonna muster much excitement, but, uh, it's still fun at least, you know, it's yeah. a week before Christmas. It's not
0: gonna put button without Justin Champagne, Champagne.
6: Champagne. Yeah, it's
8: it, it's <laughs> not gonna be the Champagne bowl as it was advertised to be, but um, you know, Pitt maybe I don't know. I I mean that game it it, it probably aged worse than you could imagine after the
6: header is Seaton All Iona.
8: Yeah. That's, so proper, that's gonna Uncle be the better game.
6: In a, yeah. in a, in
8: a, I, I would argue the Seton Hall versus Iona game would be a lot more intriguing, to be honest, um, you know, in terms of the Willard versus Patino aspect of that. But uh, I don't know that St. That, that John's pick game really feels like something that would uh, it feels like a game that St. John's would come out flat to because, you know, Pitt is kind of like they're kind of in this bottom tier. So,
6: I mean, in that sense, St. John should be I mean, now, They did play at the Garden for the tournament, but this will be yeah. the first time there'll be a crowd to see Saint John the garden. At the garden. Yes. So, I mean, yes. if that sense, if if they can't get fired up the first time they play, even if they're playing, you know, an opponent they should beat against Pittsburgh, yeah. they better be fired up just to the fact of getting fans in the Garden. Yeah. Which you know, that, definitely, that should, be, that should be motivating. I mean, if they were playing, let's say, uh, Syracuse in a year and a half, should if that yeah. can't. St. John's, nothing's going to motivate them.
8: Yeah, that's, that's I, I definitely see yeah,
0: yeah. So, You know, but I mean, obviously, you know, it, the road to Madison Square Garden and the road to the national championship, I mean, you know, like, I mean, we can all dream of winning it. Um, I mean, we can't just say like, yep, this is the year, but you know, like, hey, the, for all of us, at least the road to Ma- Madison Square Garden, you know, obviously some of us will be at Big East Media Day. I know I will be uh, Thomas Cavanaugh, I know you will be. You know we discussed that, Dan. I, and reconvening, of course, you know, as the season goes on, of course, right around Big East tournament time when, you know, all of us convene in one location. Uh, and, of course, it's the me- mecca of, you know, college basketball and, you know, the mecca of, you know, the United States, really, in New York City. The city's so nice to name it twice. City never sleeves, baby. Guys, um, thank you for being a part of the roundtable. And, you know, I think this time around, I think this one was better because, I mean, there was some trash talk, but it was success, and I look really look forward to catching up with all of you individually, whether it be in person or over Zoom, um, for the Igloo, um, whenever the time comes. Gentlemen, again, thank you all.
4: Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Thanks.
8: Thank you.
0: And that's a wrap thank you. You for the Season 3 premiere of the Igloo for all of my participants on the roundtable. Thank you for tuning in, and I will catch you next week as we keep diving in on an